Welcome to Willow Park Church, 11 o'clock online service. We are delighted that you are joining in with us and we're delighted that you are part of this community. So thank you. What we're going to do is start off the service and then, of course, uh, go over live to our locations, whether that's at South or whether that's at Highway 33. But both Glenn and I, and also I know uh, uh, Jeremy is preaching from Colossians, our Colossians series. And so we're going to go deep. Colossians is beautiful and has so many amazing truths to it. And it's about the supremacy of Christ. So let me start off by greeting you this morning with, I feel, well, I'm the passive Willow Park Church in Christ Jesus. I want to welcome to you God's holy people here at Willow Park Church. Faithful brothers and sisters in Christ that you are. You are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May grace and peace to you from God our Father be with you. Beautiful words. Paul jumps into an enthusiastic praise and support of, of the church at uh, Colossae and makes some powerful statements today. And we'll be unpacking those statements as we begin this uh, series in Colossians. It's it's rich. It's got so much. It deals with Christ, the head of creation. Why? Well, because the church is in crisis and Paul is addressing the extremes. So let me pray as we begin and then we'll go over to worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather right now online and thank you that we can worship and praise. We thank you for your goodness and we pray, Lord, that you will be with us today, encourage our hearts, and thank you that grace and peace is with us through and in Jesus Christ our Lord. Bless us, I ask. Amen. Amen. Well, let's step into worship right now. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Church Online. We're Willow Park Church and we're here to do some worship. And why don't you lift your voices with us wherever you are at. We are all together now as we lift our voices in praise to the Lord. Good to me. 
are so good, so worthy of our praise. We're joining the angels in heaven as they swirl around that throne, as the elders cast down their crowns. We're all hailing the power of Jesus' name. There's power in your name, and we are here to proclaim it and claim it and sing about it in Jesus' name. out of nothing you created the universe all powerful Lord you hold the world in your hand you hold all creation in your hand all powerful Lord you humbled yourself and became one of us to come rescue us to die for us how could you do that how could you leave that throne Yet that was the only way.
To the cross I look To the cross I cling Of its suffering I do drink Of its work I do sing For on it my Savior Both bruised and crushed Show that God is love And God is just At the cross you beckon me You draw me gently to my knees I am lost for words so Lost in love I'm sweetly Yeah. 
fully surrendered. You did it for us, for all of us. We can't thank you enough. But here we are in your church that you built with your blood, with your sacrifice and your resurrection. And now we have the Holy Spirit that joins us all together in this beautiful thing we call life and this beautiful hope we call eternal life. All because of you, great and powerful world. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Enjoy the rest of the service. God bless you all. It's always a pleasure to spend some time reflecting on the beauty and as you will experience through the messages, the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ who came to deal with the problem of sin within humanity. But I'm always reminded, and as we begin, let's reflect on Christ's journey. This is from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 27 and verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels who were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who have passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him heaped insults upon him. And from the moon, noon until three in the afternoon, Darkness came over all the land and about there in the afternoon, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with wine and vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. 
And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rock split. And the tombs broke open and bodies of many holy men who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. The narrative of the Gospels declares and paints the picture of the brokenness and utter desolation and the darkness, the mocking and the human agony that Christ endured upon the cross. And Father, we thank you as we remember your death, Jesus, the death that you travelled through. We thank you for the bread that we are holding and we ask you to bless it and we remember the body of Christ that was broken for us. Let's remember Jesus' journey. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. The blood of Jesus was shed. He died to deal with the problem of sin, our sin. He died to forgive us. Thank you, Lord, for your blood that takes away the sins of the world. Father, thank you that we can read the narrative from the scriptures. And remember what you did for us and how you redeemed us and how you saved us. For needs at this moment online, with our online community. If people are believing for healing, if they're believing for breakthrough, if they're believing for some area of their life where there is death and they need life. Father, I pray that you will bless them now and lead them into life, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to read the scriptures, to celebrate together? And we're going to go over now and hear all about the life of our church and what is happening, and then there's the message. Enjoy. Hi, church family. My name is Louisa, and I'm on staff here at Willow Park Church. Here is your family news for this week. We are very excited to start up our small groups again this fall. If you're currently in a small group or would like to join a small group, but don't know where to connect in, please contact Pastor Nick by email. We are hoping that everyone will find a place to belong here at the South. Willow Park Clubs is for kids in kindergarten to grade 5 and this program is starting this Wednesday at 6 p.m. here at our mission location. 
At clubs, kids have lots of fun learning about Jesus through crafts, games, music, and more. It's also a great place to make new friends. We still have space for your kids to join, so sign up today on our website or using the Church Centre app. On another note, we are currently looking to fill a couple of employment positions here at the church. We're hiring someone to join our custodial team as well as our tech team. For more information on these opportunities, please visit our website. Finally, we wanted to bring to your attention an important initiative being organized by the South Art Project in NOW Canada in recognition of October being the National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Here's Wendy Delcourt to tell you more about that. Hi team, this is Wendy from South Campus. I'm here today just to tell you what we're advocating for for the month of October. Willow Park Church is coming alongside uh, International Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And this is true to a lot of us. We might know somebody that is a victim of such a thing and we want to love these people and care for these people. So how you can help is one, you can donate a dollar a day to the cause for the month of October, which would be $31 to Now Canada, just go on Now Canada's website and it's right there, the donate button is right there and your receipt will be emailed to you immediately. Or on October 21st, you can wear purple and pray for all of those people that are suffering from this because it goes unreported so often, it is a hidden crime. Three, you can buy our Now Tea, which you will see available in the lobby throughout October um, between both campuses at 33 and at the south. And I'm just going to let Michelle's story speak to you on why we're getting behind this and how impactful this church, South Art Project, and our community has been in recovering lives of people suffering from domestic violence. Thank you. I feel I've learned some valuable lessons on my healing journey, and I hope to impact change by sharing it today. I, I suffered in abusive relationships uh, where I realize now I had been trading my value for money. Uh, my identity, protection, and survival in those abusive situations. Uh, it changed the course of my life. It separated my body from my soul. It was the norm for me to operate from false identity. I made, I made that identity of different masks that I wore. They were layered on after each brush with violence and abuse that I encountered. And it left me feeling that I was only valuable if my abuser said so. I, I put on my first mask as a very young girl. I was so young, in fact, I, I don't remember all the details. Uh, <clears throat> it taught me that people need to use other people. I, I, that was where my worth was. From there, I brought the belief to every relationship I entered uh, into all areas of my life, at home, work, with friends, family, men. Eventually, addiction and exploitation were, were a way of life. I was so, there was a point, I was so enveloped in turmoil, it was, it was all around me, everything was unmanageable, it was out of control, and I, I sat down and for the first time in 15 years, I prayed to God, and uh, He answered. I, uh, from that point, I remember that so clearly actually, but from that point, I, my path was lit and I, I found my way into Now Canada. They helped me reconnect to my faith, to other women, uh, just support in, in so many areas, and I've, it's been an amazing journey. Thank you. Thank you so much, Wendy. Of course, there is so much more happening here at Willow Park Church throughout the week. Be sure to subscribe to our email updates on our website 
as we will be sending all the details to your inbox every Sunday after the morning service. That's all for our family news. Have a wonderful week. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Peter Jackson, and it's my honor this morning to read the word of the Lord. I will be reading from the book of Colossians, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life full of live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And give joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For we have rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Please take your seats. Thank you, my friend. Well, good morning again. It's so good to be in the house of God. The worship team, you did amazing. Can we give them a round of applause? You know, we need to uh, encourage them because they do put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. And uh, so I hope that you take our half-hearted round of applause in the meaning that it was meant. <laughs> Can I get away with saying that sort of stuff? <laughs> After you've been here 11 years, I guess you take these risks. Um, hello, everybody, and welcome online if you are joining us. And uh, it's our 11 a.m. Uh, time together online. We're delighted that you're joining us. Lots of people still do join online with us, and we're glad that you are here. I'm excited to open the Word of God to a new series. And uh, it always feels a little bit like Christmas morning for a preacher to start a new series. So I'm looking forward to doing that in just a minute. I, uh, I kind of wrestled over how to do what I'm about to do appropriately. Uh, because normally um, this would be somebody else's job. It's not somebody something that a, a husband would do necessarily. Because there could be some you know, accusations of nepotism or whatever, but I, I, I don't really care because when I was 14, about 
20 years ago. <clears throat> um, no, actually, it's 35 years ago now. Um, I, uh, I met this amazing young lady. Her name was Sarah. And she, uh, at first, we really disliked each other, full disclosure, first couple of years. And that was my fault mainly, she tells me, um, because I wasn't very likable at that point. And, uh, but over time, we, we fell in love. We've been married 28 years, been together way more than 30 years, and, uh, and she is truly an amazing wife. Why do I share all this? Uh, because this coming Tuesday is Sarah's 50th birthday and. Um, <laughs> And I don't know if any of you have come from a church tradition where it used to be that you'd have everybody's birthdays on a Sunday and you would recognize everybody who'd retired, their birthdays, and you'd just spend like an hour doing it every service. We're not going to start that. I'm sorry. We will quietly celebrate your birthday. It's not necessarily something we do from a pulpit. But the reason I do it is because I think Sarah really does, so many of you have been impacted by Sarah's ministry. Um, whether it be a meal delivered at a time of need or cakes made, phone calls over COVID. She had her, and I know a lot of them are listening online, she had her group uh, that she would call every week. And if she missed a week, it was funny because then they would call her. Is everything okay? Um, She kept in contact. The pastoral care visits that you don't know that she does unless you're one of those that she visits. Every week she spends her day off filling it with going and visiting people and loving on people and praying for them. And there's walks. She'll clean your house, whether you ask for it or not. Uh, That is a whole other story. Um, The one time when she disappeared to somebody's washroom for way too long, I said, where were you? Are you feeling okay? I was cleaning it. That could be misinterpreted, love. Um, So she listens well. She prays well. She encourages, she builds up her disciplined life in terms of reading the word and spending time praying for you as a church, for me as her husband, her kids, her family and friends is just remarkable. And so I wanted to take a minute to say thank you. I know she hates this, which is why it's more fun. Um, But happy birthday, love. And uh, you thoroughly deserve every recognition that you get. We love you. And she's now crying. So it's good. All right. Having done that, that's just a good start. Where's my, oh, I've got it in my hand. Losing my mind. Okay. Um, Colossians. When you start a series in a book like Colossians, it's a little bit like, and I don't know if you've ever had this experience of trying to explain to somebody how amazing a beautiful vista view was. Maybe you stood on the top of a mountain and you've just been overwhelmed with the enormity and the beauty of this mountainscape you were looking at, and then you come home and you try and explain it. And then everybody goes, oh, sounds great. It's a little bit like that, Colossians. This is a mountainous book. Not that it's complicated in comparison to some books in the New Testament. Just the enormity of the message. I feel already at a loss to be able to communicate to you effectively the message that this book holds. Whether you are somebody who's been a Christian for decades, whether you're somebody who's been a Christian five minutes, or somebody who's just thinking about Christianity, this book holds some truth that we can all lean into. But every week, I ask myself two questions when I come to preparing the Word of God. The first question is, so what? 
in the light of all this information, so what? What difference does it make to me in my life? What difference does it make to you in your life? What difference does it make to a teenager? What difference does it make to somebody who's an octogenarian? And everything in between, so what? And then the second question I ask myself is now what? So we address the so what, now what? What do we do with all this information? How does it affect my life, so what? Now what do I do with it? And so today what I'm going to attempt to do is show you the so what of studying Colossians. And Paul does a great job of explaining it to us in the first 14 verses of the Bible. And then I'm going to leave you with a couple of now what's in the light of that. But first, let's think about what Dorothy said at the Wizard of Oz. Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. If there was ever a statement that Christians could say about Christianity, it's this one. Not particularly uh, modern pop culture, but certainly part of modern history in comparison to all history. We're not in Kansas anymore, Christian friends. We are no longer respected. We are disrespected as Christians, as Jesus followers. We are not admired anymore. We are abhorred when it comes to some people. It used to be that if a child came to their mom or dad and said that they wanted to be a minister, that the parents would celebrate in the same way that they would these days and then if they said they were going to be a doctor or a lawyer. It had that element in society that people respected. Not anymore. And I can say an amen to that for reasons that many of you are very aware of the different stories that I've shared from this pulpit as to what happens when I say I'm a pastor. Silence. Uh, routine, we, are, we, we were just part of what our culture was about. Now we're actually, and this is quite exciting, are you ready, Christian friend? You're edgy. Not in a Fonz kind of way, and if you don't know who Fonz is, don't worry about it. But you're edgy. You are actually dangerous as far as our culture is concerned. And so when Wendy very prophetically said that we've got a bit of street, she's not wrong. We might not look that way, but we are that way. We are edgy. We are different. We are now no longer the majority. We're actually a cognitive minority. What that means is the way we think is a minority definition, a group of people whose views of the world differ significantly from the one taken for granted in our society. Christian friend, Jesus follower, that is you. We are a cognitive minority minority. Our values, our ways, our beliefs are all radically different. At best, people think we're irrelevant. At worst, they think we're bigoted and filled with hate. That is the reality of the culture that we live in. And it's a challenge to stay faithful to Jesus. To be truly faithful to Jesus, to the way that Jesus presented in the gospel not in the Western Christian way of following Jesus, and we're going to talk a lot about that, but in the way that Jesus actually laid out as to how Christians, and remember I said last week he actually never referred to Christians, never explained Christians. Christians is a, is a word given to Christians by people who weren't Christians, really to make fun of them a little bit in Jesus' time. We're actually called people of, quote, the way. The way of Jesus Christ is different to people these days. The challenge is is to remain faithful to that which we believe and we say is most important in our lives. We are slowly and surely being drawn in. Just like the very famous quote, you will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. 
says the Borg from Star Trek. How many pop culture quotes can a pastor get into a sermon? How many of you have heard of the Borg? Wow, that's not for any of you. Okay, you've got some research to do, the rest of you, but not now. You can do that later. We are slowly being encouraged into a culture as Christians where we don't belong. And it's not a gentle pull. This is Kelowna. Hey, you believe in Jesus? That's great. I believe in him too. But honestly, I look to other things as well as him. You should be a bit more open-minded and less bigoted about your beliefs. Let me help you. I know better. That is our culture. So not everybody hates Christians. Most people actually don't care. But a lot of people fall in this category. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. That's great. But actually, I've got other things going on in my life as well that I kind of add into my Christianity or add into my belief of Jesus. And I feel like you just saying Jesus is the only way is bigoted and arrogant and exclusive. And maybe you should be a little bit more open, like me. And and I can help you. I know better. This is a pull. This is a cultural communication that comes to us just by opening our eyes in the morning. By reaching to our phone, the message of our culture is, we know better. How do we know this pull is here? Because we can see it by, just like a black hole. How do you know a black hole exists? By the movement of the planets and the stars around it. How do you know this pull exists? By the movement of the Christians around it. Christians slowly being drawn into a manner of thinking that is not Christian, is not a Jesus-following thinking. And you can see evidence of it all around. One of the best ways of seeing evidence that this is a pull that happens in Christianity is that we are no longer seen as dangerous for the right reasons, i.e. the world-changing reasons. Because remember, people were called Christians because at the time, that culture didn't know how to handle Christians, didn't even know what to call them, because it was so evident that they were different. It was so evident that they had community. It was so evident that they had love for one another that actually they had to create a different category. And that's why they were called Christians. Is it so evident in our culture that we love one another, that we care for one another, that we serve one another, that we love Jesus more than anything, above all? Is it so evident that people actually have to place us in a category that is different than just bigoted Christian? You see, so how and why are we actually studying Colossians? It's because Colossians addresses this, because this was the message in Colossae. This is the message that Paul is addressing in this amazing book. This beautiful, prosperous city in a valley called Colossae. It was a trade route, and it was in a valley very much like Peachland. This is the Okanagan. It's actually really fascinating when you look at the history of Colossae. You can see parallels filled with people who have moved there because they want that life that it offers. Filled with prosperous people, people who want to be prosperous, people who believe moving to there is going to be the answer to their lives. Is this sounding familiar? The number of people over the years that have come and landed, and this isn't you, so this is no criticism, who move in from Alberta and different parts of the country. They come to Kelowna because they believe in that the problems that they had in their marriage and lives in other parts of the world somehow miraculously will be left with the house that they're leaving and it will all disappear when they come to Kelowna. 
And they come, and then very quickly the fractures appear because this is not my statement. Wherever you go, there you are. Kelowna is Colossae. It's an amazing city, a beautiful city, filled with hundreds of shrines and temples, thousands and thousands of gods. Rome's basic statement was this when it came to gods. You find, this is just, just think Kelowna as well as Colossae when I say this. Rome, the governing authority, the governing thought at the time said this. You find a god that works for you. Sound familiar? Whatever makes you feel the best. But, Rome would say, don't be bigoted and say that yours is the best because actually Caesar is the best. So you find a God. You mix together. A little bit like a complicated Starbucks drink. If you want to throw Jesus in the mix, you have at it. But don't say Jesus is the best because we know better. If you want to just throw in a little bit of this and a little bit of that and mix it all together, actually it will make you sick, but that's a whole other sermon. But like Starbucks drink, just, just this mix of thought and belief is what Colossae was known for. And that is what Kelowna is known for. And I want to show you this. Remember we're asking the question, why are we studying Colossians? In the middle of this was this church plant from the church of Ephesus. And Epaphras, who's mentioned in chapter 4, is one of the leaders. And he reaches out to Paul, and Paul is in prison. He's never actually, he was never involved in planting this church. He just knew of the church, and he knew of Epaphras. And, uh, and so he, he gives advice to Epaphras. Why? So here's the so what. Why are we studying Colossians? It's because this false teaching was drawing Christians into its black hole. And the pastor needed Paul's help as to what to do with that. False teaching was drawing Christians towards its center. This particular type of false teaching was called Gnosticism. From the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. The Gnostics were literally people, again, think Kelowna, people in the know as far as they were concerned. They believed they were enlightened, and they believed that they could help lesser Christians to find true freedom, because after all, Jesus wasn't enough. You need to add other things to Jesus. And so, Christian friend, straight away, this is a point of conviction and question. Do we see Jesus as enough? Or do we feel like we need to add other things to Jesus? Not in the way, if you remember, we went through Galatians and we talked about this a lot. The Jesus plus nothing is everything equation. You don't need anything added to Jesus. This is a different context. Galatians, the context was you need to do what the Jews used to do. This context is you need to do what the culture is doing. Because the culture knows better. Just add it to the mix like a nasty Starbucks drink. Jesus isn't enough. And they had this potent, deceptive combination of Jewish legalism, oriental philosophy. This is, this is Kelowna. Oriental philosophy, pagan astrology, mysticism with a little hint of Christianity. Just like that chef that does that. Bit of Christianity. Just a little bit. Just to keep your mum and dad happy. Just to keep your Mennonite culture happy, just a little bit. I'm not going to go to church, but just enough of a belief of Jesus, just so I can call myself a Christian. 
But with everything else, I'm going to partake with everything else I possibly can, including perhaps the biggest religion in Kelowna and on the West, secularism or hyper-individualistic thinking. Like, I can do it myself. I'm just going to get successful. Plus Jesus is the answer. And Paul steps into this. It's syncretism at its best. Harmony of different thoughts all coming together. Just put Jesus into the mix of your life with the other gods. Now you might go, hang on, Glenn. We don't have other gods. We don't have other shrines. We don't have other temples. Yeah, we do. We really do. One of the biggest temples we have in our city is called Orchard Park Mall. Am I right? The temple of materialism... The temple of you can look better, be better, just go further. you just got to look this certain way. So Pastor Glenn's saying you shouldn't go shopping at Orchard Park Mall. Of course not. I'm not yeah, you can. you can. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But it's a temple. We have gods everywhere, arguably more than they had in Colossae. That's a whole other sermon. But this weight of responsibility that was on the people of Colossae who weren't Christians to actually succeed is crushing. Because you rely on you and your power and your ability to get the mix right for you to succeed. If you don't get the mix right, then you are not successful. You are not getting the good life you've been promised. And what attention you turn on yourself starts to crush you. And the thing that you're chasing after ultimately enslaves you and crushes you. And Paul steps into this and says, there's a better way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, this is verse 1, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters. That word uh, brothers also means brothers and sisters in the original. In Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. This is Paul talking. And he says right from the outset, true freedom, true peace is found in Jesus. But what does Paul know? And I've spoken lots of times, like years and years and years, I've spoken about chronological snobbery. Even before it got popular to talk about chronological snobbery, C.S. Lewis coined the phrase that, that what we think is better than what people, pastors used to think because they're older than us and we know better. It's chronological snobbery. Paul, 2,000 years ago, clearly didn't know what he was talking about, about finding true freedom because, well, it was 2,000 years ago. They were still running around and bumping into idols all the time, you know, and, and they were just not smart, unlike us. Hmm. I'm smarter than Paul, really. He knew Greek fluently, Hebrew fluently, Aramaic fluently, and possibly Latin. He had dual citizenship. He was both Roman and Jewish. That doesn't come when you're a bit thick. Incredibly articulate. We know that from his writing. He studied under Galileo. He was an incredible academic pedigree, arguably photographic memory, genius level. He wrote half of the New Testament. He was imprisoned. And in prison, even though the prison isn't this kind of cozy, you can have an hour outside or watch TV in your cell while playing ping pong. And that, you know, that's not the type of prison that Paul spent his, most of his ministry in. It was actually a place where you would slowly die and starve, probably chained to a Roman guard. 
But while doing so, he still is able to bring to memory massive chunks of the Old Testament and write theology that people still refer to today. Arguably the leading figure after Jesus Christ in the New Testament, so much so he is still discussed and debated today. I wonder how many of our Instagram influencers will be debated and discussed in 2,000 years' time. Just a thought. He likely walked up to 20 miles a day when he was not in prison. And this is the fun part for me. Wherever he went, he managed to start a riot. He preached and people rioted. Some of you are asleep when I preach. Just being honest. Some of you have fun telling me about the person next to you who was asleep while I was preaching. Paul goes into a city, starts preaching, and there's a riot. I dream of a riot starting when I preach. Even just a little one, that would be wonderful. He said of himself, I bear the mark of Jesus on my body. He was stoned and left for dead. That does not mean that he was blazing on marijuana one night. It means literally they dug a hole in the ground, threw him in, and threw large rocks on top of him until you were crushed to death. Stoning worked. He gets out. And he lives. He was flogged five times. That doesn't sound so bad. Actually, each flogging is 39 lashes with a rod. In a Jewish temple. He was scourged three times by Romans. He was shipwrecked three times. Don't ever get on a boat with the Apostle Paul. Like, seriously, after the second time, anybody who gets on on the third time, you deserve what you get. But he was adrift in open sea. He was bitten by snakes. He had massive hardships. And you can actually read through his writing anxiety. I don't think if Paul walked into the room, you would want to look at him. I think a life like that leaves a mark. I don't think he floated in with hair flowing, looking magnificent and apostolic, with his cape flapping in the wind with a pea on his chest. I think actually that kind of life leaves. You can't get crushed with stones without leaving a hideous scar. He said himself, I have the mark of Jesus on my body. He had a problem with his eyes. We know that from Scripture. And, we, and he, there's all sorts of speculation about some of the other ailments that he had. But one thing I do know about peace, about Paul, is when he says, talks about peace, he's fully qualified to say that I have an extraordinary peace. Not a peace that we talk about that comes with not having as many worries in our life. But life literally crushed Paul at times. And yet he was still able to point to Jesus Christ and say, I am at peace. A garden like, a garden of Eden like peace, a shalom, a supernatural peace, a peace that comes from the kingdom of God living in the here and now. Like I said last week, that eternity is already in session. That kind of peace, where you have an insight as to what is going to be, and it leaves a sense of peace in your life now. And he says in this scripture that it comes only in one way, and that is through grace in Christ. Not our own pursuit, a mix of philosophy. Not our Starbucks drink of Christianity. Not our adding to Jesus, but Christ and him alone. And what you read as you read Colossians is this overwhelming theme all the way through, which is the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. In modern vernacular, that would be a Jesus above all. Jesus over all. 
is what Paul's message was. You don't need anything. Paul was by far smarter than you and I. And if you get a little bit indignant about that, I'm okay with that. But Paul is a smart, well-lived, intellectual man who had lived life at his most crushing low and its most epitome high and still said, Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. Paul lovingly points to Jesus 35 plus times in the first chapter. You can read it in the first chapter and count when he says Christ or Jesus or in him or any reference to Jesus 35 times in the first chapter. He describes what life in Jesus is like. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and that of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. These three massive words that Paul uses all through his writings, faith, Love, hope, all found in Jesus Christ. That we were designed to be part of this perfect kingdom, reflecting faith, hope, and love. And every one of us, whether you are a thousand miles away from believing in Jesus, or whether you've been a Jesus believer for decades, we are rooted in this desire to know and be like Jesus and to live out this perfect kingdom life. We can't find it in humanity We believe by mixing different things together that somehow this thing is going to produce this kingdom of heaven where faith and hope and love and peace reign. We believe it's possible if we could change our government or change our socioeconomic policies or if we can change this or change that or tweak this and maybe I do a little bit more yoga, maybe a bit of oriental mysticism, maybe a bit of this, maybe a bit of that and we'll mix it all together and somehow faith, hope and love is going to appear in my life. And Paul says no. It's faith first, literally, in Christ Jesus. It starts there. And I could argue it ends there, according to Paul in Colossians. Faith first. You can't have hope and love without it. What do we place our faith in? What do we place our our hope in? What do you really believe is going to be your personal savior? What do you believe is going to release you, not just from the shame and guilt you might feel, but what is going to bring you that good life you are straining towards, that every one of us is wired to believe in. And it's actually called the kingdom of heaven. And all that it represents, what are you placing your faith in? Love for others, one another, that we as Christians are called saints. Isn't that brilliant? You are a saint if you are a believing, a Jesus-loving follower of him. If you are a saint... You don't have to do the Catholic way of becoming a saint. You are a saint by definition because you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. We can love the unlovable. We can care for those that no one else cares for because we have a hope in heaven. We have a hope that is made available to us now. We find security in that hope and it brings love and it's nothing to prove. So Paul really, in these first few verses, is summing up the whole of Colossians. He starts with Jesus, Jesus in the middle, Jesus at the end. You don't need anything else. Don't throw it all in the mix of things. It doesn't work. Only Jesus brings you the true shalom that every one of us is straining towards. And if you want proof of it, you can just look at the life of Paul and billions of other people since him. So Paul is writing to Christians who are being drawn away that are being told that Jesus is great, 
but not great enough. That you need to add him into the mix of everything that our culture has to offer. That our culture has a better way. They know better, literally. Gnostics. That we know better than you. Join the elite. Join with us. We'll show you the path to a better way. And Paul kicks that over and says no. But how does he do it? And in this, we find the so what. The so what is... This Colossae is Kelowna. This is yours and my life. This is the Paul we all experience. The now what, though, is really interesting. Because what Paul doesn't do is give us a list of top ten things that every one of us has to do every day. What he does is he quietly and persistently and enthusiastically points to Jesus all the way through Colossians. He just says, keep looking at him. Look at Jesus. Fix your attention on him. Place your mind upon him. He lifts Jesus up and says, look. Consider, remember, think about, pray for a deeper knowledge, study. And the message is, is as we reflect upon the character and the beauty of Jesus, as we place our attention upon him, then what happens is the culture, the pull fades and loses its power. Because we're fixed on the ultimate anchor, the one who promises to bring shalom. And then he reminds them, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. Whole world in this context, not literally the whole world, it's the whole cultural world that they were living in. As it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. This increasing fruit, the gospel works. The good news of Jesus Christ works. And it not only works, it's producing fruit. And not only is it producing fruit, it's accelerating. It's advancing. Can I tell you, never before has there been more Christians on this planet. Never before in the history of our world. That a third of our population on the whole planet, almost a third, that's not true. Two, uh, no, it is. One third, just doing quick math. Scott Campbell, you'd be proud of me. One third of the population of the whole of our planet, are Jesus-believing, gospel-believing, not just Christian because they were born into a Christian family or a Christian culture, gospel-believing people. We believe that because culture in Kelowna only has a small amount, we believe very narrowly that the whole world reflects what's going on in the West. It doesn't. I've had the joy of traveling to a lot of different countries. It's amazing what God is doing. Amazing what this gospel does. It works because the people are looking for truth that is not found in the cultural systems, not found in thousands of gods, not found in a Starbucks mix of faith and spirituality. Paul is celebrating the miracle of the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, love, faith, hope, shalom, community, and world change. And then he starts to pray. A beautiful study in the New Testament is looking at the apostolic prayers of Paul. This is one of them. What does he pray for? Remember, he has a lot of choices. He could pray for all sorts of things. He could pray that the culture, the Gnostics, would diminish and disperse. He doesn't do that. He could pray that it would, life would become easier for the Christians. He doesn't do that. There's any number of things that Paul, and it would be incredibly understandable for him to choose any of these things. What does he pray for? He centers in on specific things. The first thing he prays for is that we would have full knowledge. 
And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. By the way, not ceased to pray is not necessarily an ongoing, prayerful, meditative thought, which is lovely and beautiful and probably true, but also, highly likely, he would pray regularly three times a day for an hour. Three hours a day, he was praying. Three hours a day, that shows intensity. Remember what the Gnostics were saying, we have a better knowledge, a gnosis. What Paul is praying for here is actually different, but you can see the same word buried. It's epignesos, which is full knowledge, not just partial knowledge. He's saying, Christian friend, you need to get full knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Think about what knowing God's will in its entirety would feel like. Knowing how to respond and not to react Knowing the right decision, the right way to live life. Knowing when to step in and when to take your time. All that wisdom, all that spiritual understanding. Where does that come from? Paul prays for a very similar thing in Ephesians. There'll be a spiritual understanding, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Where does this knowledge come from, friends? If there was one thing that I would 100% stand with in Paul and pray for you, And for every person who calls Willow Park home, every Christian who is in uh, Kelowna and in the West, it would be this. That we need to fill our mind on the things of Christ. How do we do that? By studying the Word. This is the one thing that we have, every one of us, that actually can change the manner in which we think, actually hear the thoughts of God, think about what God thinks about, react in the way that God reacts. See, Paul, all the way through Colossians, talks about what it is that we place our mind and our thinking on. This is basic psychology. We become what we place our attention on. We become what we place our attention on. What you focus on, what you think about, what you ingest into your life slowly becomes who you are. If you want to put it in scriptural terms, Romans 8 verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Neuroscience is now catching up with the Bible. If you don't believe me, read neuroscience. It's amazing. Some wonderful books, one particular book by Caroline Leaf, called Switch On Your Brain, is brilliant, very readable. talks about how neuropathways can be rewired, so much so they create DNA and start changing the biology of your body. So the way you think literally changes your body, which, by the way, interesting sidebar, when the Bible talks about generation passing sin from generation to generation to generation, we now have a scientific way that that happens. Because it literally, the sin that you place your attention on, placed on enough, will rewire your neuropathways, create DNA, change your biology, which you then pass on to your kids. That's sobering, isn't it? That's why kids often follow in the sins and the addictions and the challenges of generations before them, sometimes skipping generations we're now seeing in genetics. It's amazing. The Bible said that. 
Neuroscience says that what you place your attention on, you become. Friends, we need to rewire our neuropathways. We need to change the way we think. We need to gain a different kind of knowledge. Not a knowledge that the culture says makes sense, but a knowledge that God himself makes sense. We spend thousands and thousands of hours on Instagram and social media and Facebook. And I know I've got a reputation for dissing these things. There's nothing wrong with any of them unless you're spending thousands of hours on the... I don't spend thousands of hours. Add it up. Add it up. If you spent the same amount of time studying the Word of God, how would life look different? How would your family look different? How would your thinking look different? How would your responses be different? Think about what we input. This input that we have on a constant basis creating discontent. We need to strongly filter what we place our attention on. And our world is designed to draw your attention away from Jesus. It's like a black hole. It's okay. It's all right. Just, just look at what we're looking at. It'll actually it'll inspire you. Hashtag motivation. Motivation Tuesday. No, I look at that and go, oh, it just makes me feel rotten about myself. Look at all those ripply abs. It's not motivation. See, we need to filter what we look at. We need to be careful what we input because what is it creating? You know, uh, one of the things that happens to us regularly is when we go on a road trip, I manage to be able to get... I, I, once I'm going on a road trip, I find it really difficult to stop. I, do, I just want to get there. I want to get from Kelowna to Vancouver in just one go. Do we have to stop? But the Lord has provided to me an amazing wife who needs to stop. So oftentimes, we'll stop, and the only option that we use is one of those, um, I don't even know what the proper name is, but it's basically a really nasty-looking toilet with a, with a hole that goes into the center of the earth, which flies come out of. You know what I'm talking about? What's the proper name of that? Outhouse, Outhouse. okay. So you go in, and you're like, oh, this is just going to be awful. Now, I've I don't want to spend a lot of time describing the different toilets I've used around the world. Compared to some, that is luxury. I, I get that and have used them. So it's, it's nice. But still, if I came in and went, you know, the rim's a little bit wet. But it doesn't look too bad. The water on it looks clean. Why just give it a little lick? <laughs> Thank you, Dave. That was the exact response I wanted. We nearly caused a riot right there. It was brilliant. <laughs> Just a little lick. It won't cause you any harm. Everyone else is doing it. It's fine. You know, you might get away with it the first time. I mean, I'm not going to kiss you after it. You might get away with it. But that repulsive, oh, why would you want to digest that which you know has come from a place that is disgusting and actually is not going to do you any good at all. Why is it only that? Well, it's only one lick. It's not like I licked it ten times, Glenn. It doesn't make a difference. One lick is enough. What has this got to do with what I'm saying? Do you know what? We're presented constantly, constantly presented by our culture Things that we can digest, mostly with our eyes, with our ears, with our senses. We can digest them. Everyone else is doing it. It's only one lick. It's only just a little bit. Don't worry about it. You know, it's not like I'm addicted to licking toilets. I don't care. One is enough. 
Now, why would we want to put something inside of us that we know doesn't come from a good place, Christian friends? Filter what we place our attention on. Fill your attention and your mind with Jesus Christ through the Word of God. Place your attention on Jesus and His peace follows. Which leads to, secondly, then walking the talk. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. If you were a Hebrew, knowledge knew, meant nothing unless it was followed by action. Walk literally means conduct. See, Gnostics are all about superior pontification in their hipster coffee shops in the middle of Kelowna. Oh, well, somebody ought to do something about, you know, and if they did this and if they thought the way. But actually, Hebrews would reject that completely and go, great, but where's the action? Where's the action? And this is exactly what Paul is saying. You have this knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it actually results into action, into walk. And then... He's asking, remember, he's praying that we would have wisdom and revelation and knowledge and spirit and peace, that this knowledge would come, as you're going to see through Colossians, in focusing on Jesus. This results in action in our walk. The knowledge doesn't just terminate on itself. It's not just puffed up, I know a lot about the Bible. It's actually resulting in the walk. And oftentimes it starts with really simple prayers. God, today possibly one of the most dangerous prayers you can pray. God, first dangerous prayer, God, today, bring me to a place where I can share Jesus with somebody. Second most dangerous prayer, God, give me the boldness to follow through with it. There's a story of a lovely older lady in a previous church of ours. This is when we were teenagers, and my old pastor told this story, Warwick. This lady was blind, and I mean profoundly blind. So you, and, um, and so every morning what she would do, she would spend time in the Word, she would pray, she would ask God to give her opportunity to share Jesus Christ with somebody that day. And then every day, she would get dressed, she'd make herself look nice, and then she would go to the end of her path at the front of her house, And in Britain, those who've been to Britain, you know, there's like little walls and a little gate, and it's all very picturesque. And she would stand at the gate and wait. And then nothing happened. After a little while, she'd go back in the house, have a cup of tea, whatever, and then she'd come back outside and just wait. And then she'd be able to hear if somebody was coming along the pathway. And she'd go, good morning, and then stop. She'd have a conversation. She would tell them about Jesus. She would pray with them. The number of people that that beautiful older lady brought to Jesus was astounding because every morning she got herself dressed and walked to the end of her gateway and stood and waited. All founded on this knowledge of Jesus Christ because he is able. Founded in prayer because she was willing to actually take her action, her knowledge, and make it action. Even if it was just something as simple as that. Isn't that profound? Isn't that amazing? That we can have that same fruit shown in our lives. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing the knowledge of God. So here's what happens. You spend time in the word. You get excited about who Jesus Christ is. And what he has done for you. And who he is. And and, and we're going to see that a lot in Colossians. This knowledge results in you wanting to do stuff for him. 
him. You want to take action. You want to go and stand at your proverbial garden gate and wait and see what Jesus is going to do that day. And then you are going to boldly step out and you're going to talk and you're going to share and do something Christ-like in someone else's life. What that results in is fruit. And that fruit is so exciting and exhilarating, it makes you want to go back and learn about the Jesus that it started with. And you get into this cycle of fruit, which is why Paul said that the gospel is advancing because it continues to get more and more powerful. Friends, if we as a church just took these steps, sought him out, filtered what we place our attention on, place our attention on the word of God, stop looking at stuff that ultimately is like licking toilets and put our attention on him, learn more about him, pray, seek his face in the quietness of the morning every day, ask him to give us opportunity to share Jesus. And then we went out and experienced that fruit. Then we'd want to know more about him because it's so exciting. We want to get to church on a Sunday because we want to worship him. That is a body of Christians that changes a city because that's momentum. That's why the gospel advances. And then to finish, he says, give thanks. We've got knowledge. We've got action. We've got fruit. Now he says, give thanks. Being strengthened. I feel strengthened just telling you about it. Imagine what it must feel like living it. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. God's glorious might at work in your life. That is what is on offer for all endurance and patience with joy. So yes, Paul knew that there's needed to be endurance. He knew that he needed patience. But look, it comes with joy. And I can give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So one day you are going to live with him forever. But you can actually live with him now in the kingdom of heaven like he's in us and around us and through us, just like the scripture says. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. In the first 14 verses, Paul has encapsulated the Christian life. He says, you want to stop being pulled? Focus on Jesus. You will gain strength. You will be able to endure. There will be patience. There will be joy. And friends, we need that in our culture. Your kids need you to be strengthened with power in his glorious might so you can endure, so you can be patient, so you can show joy. Your kids need that. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. The kingdom of heaven now. So this whole series is about taking Jesus, just like I started saying, you know, it's how it's hard to describe a beautiful mountain vista. I'm lifting Jesus up with Paul and saying, look, can we place our attention on him? I just activated Siri. Can we place our attention on him? Let's place our attention on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who delivered us from darkness. And you might be listening to this and going, oh, I want that life. And you've never come to a place where you've truly believed it. We want to encourage you. This is why we have connect cards. Let us know. We want to have that conversation with you. But the very first step, place your attention upon Jesus. Start reading the gospel. Start looking at his life. And you'll hear him say, come follow me. And you will have life and life to the full. 
And then he finishes Paul, and I'm finishing too, setting us up for one of the most glorious passages in the whole Bible, Colossians 1, verse 15 through to 20, 21. It's just an amazing piece of Scripture. So here's the now what. I asked you last week, read Colossians every day. Read Colossians every day. It's four chapters. Start soaking in who Jesus is. Start soaking in the knowledge of who he is. That is a great way to spend 10 minutes. And as you do that, then pray quietly and ask him to change your thinking, to enjoy his presence. Maybe you don't pray anything. Maybe it's just silence. You just enjoy him for who he is. It is life-changing and transformative. Amen? Amen. We've got all sorts of different things happening after our service, and we want to get to that. But I think it's important that we just spend a few minutes worshiping him. And um, placing our attention upon Jesus. I want to pray. Let's stand together. I'm going to let Sarah close out our service and our time together after this song. Maybe close your eyes. some breaths. Breathing's good. God invented it. Some deep breaths. Enjoy his presence. Dear Lord, we're thankful that, Lord, that we can read scriptures like this and get a tiny glimpse of what could be. That, Lord, our hearts and our spirits and our Our minds resonate with what Paul is declaring to be truth, that Jesus is over all. And Lord, I pray that even as we sing now and we bring this service to an end, that Lord, that you would be pleased with our worship and our praise. But Lord, that you would whisper to us. You'd speak to us. Give us some of your wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.